Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust, or maybe it's The Sleeper, uh, tryptophan-inspired this week, and <laughs> The Bust with a lot of pumpkin pie crust. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners, and uh, I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as always, is the thankful Eno Saris. Eno, how are you? Hopefully, we can uh, make your trip to and or from uh, one of these family situations uh, more enjoyable. Uh, take your mind off of the horrible, horrible things you and your family said to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Or if you're not traveling, it'll just we maybe we can just help you tune out the family right. for an hour or so. Boy, uh, we have a low opinion of family. <laughs> at least, at least of the listener, uh, the families of the, our listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No offense, guys. No offense. <laughs> I've met them, and they're terrible. <laughs> well, um, getting into, obviously, some exciting news again in the world of baseball, which has some interesting repercussions on fantasy baseball, and a, a lot of them originate in Beantown. First of all, I think we'll start with the simpler Pablo Sandoval signing. Um, I mean, in the end, he's... I might even want to call him a reliable third baseman in the last couple of years, relatively speaking. Uh, but and you know, in theory, this the move to the par, uh, to Fenway Park boosts prospects not necessarily for home run production, although that probably goes up a little, but uh, also for batting average. Uh, I mean, I think this is a move that fantasy owners will be excited about. I'm interested. I'll be interested to see how much. Is there anything that jumps out to you about this that is either yay or nay in, a, in an extreme way? Um, <clears throat> well, I wrote a piece um, for the front page about how I'm worried about his health, basically. Mm -hmm. um, maybe his strikeout rate uh, to some extent, because uh, for the, on the health front, it's just body type stuff. Um, it's a very rare body type. Uh, and most <laughs> Rare body baseball. type. It's not that rare. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a rare body type in baseball because um, they're normally supposed to be athletes i'm not saying he's not an athlete he's he's definitely got athletic ability otherwise he wouldn't be able to manage it but you know i think like uh i think only two out of 69 people that have been that have been weight have weighed over 240 pounds have been third baseman um one was a third baseman for like 40 plate appearances joel guzman and uh and he's done and um, and then the other was Scott Rowland, who was, you know, like uh, five inches taller than Pablo Sandoval and was just pretty much a big guy, not necessarily a fat guy. Uh, sorry. Scott Rowland is he's a not fat shaming Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> Scott Rowland is a beefcake, baby. Yeah, maybe Scott Rowland is somewhat comparable, but he's he is taller. So it's in terms of BMI or whatever. No, I mean, I just mean he's a beef like he's he's all man. Yeah, right. Well, I'm not talking about Scott Rowland now. I'm talking about when he played. But Right. Uh, anyway. Me too. I'm sorry. Uh, Scott Rowland, and to be fair, it's not like Scott Rowland stayed super healthy into the into the twilight of his career. Oh, I mean, that is as, true. As, as I remember it, and I'm, and I'm checking right now, 
Yeah, yeah. So as I remember, uh, he missed about 120 games a year for the last five. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he turned he turned 30 in 2005, uh, and in 2005 he had 223 play appearances, uh, and that started a string of he never he never hit 600 play appearances again for the rest of his career after he turned 30. So, I think I think being big, it's not necessarily. Uh, something inherent to being big. I, I think it's it's just harder on your joints. There's there's research like this in basketball that uh, the seven footers are all uh, oft injured. Oh yeah, and it's just about you know how much weight you're putting on your knees, how much, and and that's what I expect will happen over the course of. And it may not be next year because he's only uh, going to be 28 next year. Um, and uh, but I think you know. Before the end of this contract, um, we'll, we'll start to see more of the. And we already saw them with San Francisco, and I know it was a handmade bone, but I think you're just going to see more thigh and quad stuff, and, and you're going to see seasons like uh, 2011, where he did hit 315, he had 23 homers, but he only had 40, 466 plate appearances. So, you know, in certain leagues where you have a lot of DL spots, in, in one league, um, I've been holding on to him. I couldn't been. I haven't been able to trade him, and now I'm super happy to have him because we have like eight DL slots, and uh, and now I've got a guy who, for fantasy purposes, when he's in there, I think will be better this year. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, San Francisco made it a point to emphasize to him how much they wanted him to lose weight in the in off in off season after off season. Um, I'm curious to see how, you know, I mean, is this something that the Boston front office or, and the team staff, whatever, is this something that they'd be able to stress to him or, or have him implement in the same way? Or I want, I'm curious maybe if there are weight clauses in his contracts and his contract, are there, cause I, I think, you know, the, the points you bring up, I mean, the, the age curve chart that you have in your article on him is kind of wild and all over the place. <laughs> I mean, there are, um, <clears throat> I think, and and two, I guess the thing that occurred. I mean, I think that the injuries are likelier to be structural because I think that I mean, like Roland had a lot of problems with his back, um, maybe with the knees, but I know particularly the back was the big problem. Um, yeah. And it could be you know similar with Sandoval, whether it's back or knees or ankles, um, just somewhere uh, in the joints that that seems. Yeah, I think it'd be thighs. He's already had some some quad and thigh issues in the past. I think those. Are- but uh, there's and I mean, are we talking? Those are soft tissue injuries because I think those. I mean, not to say that they're necessarily precursors of joint problems, but they could be kind right. of. Um, yeah, I think that's how I think that's how that aging curve happens. You know, yeah. you, it's not necessarily that they are worse in terms of you know walks and strikeouts and that sort of thing. It's that they they miss more time and right and know, that those, that affects yeah. the plate discipline is what. Kind right, of. it can, but also the aging curve was was based on runs, right? And runs is a counting stat, so okay, um, that's in terms of offensive runs and positional runs. All that stuff is counting stats. So I think that the main uh, cause of that of that is is DL time, and that's because also when I looked at the DL stuff, uh, heavy players were three times as likely as uh, regular players to end up on the DL. Um, and in terms of percentage in a given season, three times the more likely. And then once they went on the DL, stayed on the DL uh, twice as long. So 
that's I think uh, where I think that's exactly the sort of Rick Smith's uh, situation <laughs> is, uh, is kind of what happens with the heavier players. Um, but you know, it's nice to see. I think Steamer's already been updated for his new park because it's got him with a uh, 173 ISO. Uh, he's been below 140 for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, and a 312 Babbitt. And actually, I think I would bet more on the Babbitt than the ISO. Um, yeah. Especially after reading, uh, Tony Blangino wrote. Uh, he's a former front office guy. Um, he wrote uh, a piece for Fangraphs about sort of hitting hitting into the monster and, and it, it seemed to be more about singles and doubles than it did about necessarily homers i mean if you just think about the way the monster is and you just look at regular park factors um for for boston um you know sometimes i'm a little bit worried about his park factors because he doesn't want a one-year basis <laughs> and uh and it seems to not really correct so much for defense um so whoever defender is out there i think could affect his park factors but um, even if you look at three-year regressed park factors, um, like on Stack Corner or on Fangraphs, uh, those park factors uh, agree that uh, it's batting average on balls in play that gets inflated by the monster, not necessarily homers. I mean, you have to right. think about it. you got to hit it pretty high to get it over. Yeah. So, I mean, that's – I think – I mean, basically, short-term, it sounds like this is this is a fantasy positive for Sandoval, but long-term, regardless of the – uh, improvement in his outlook it you know in the long haul we're not talking about something that's uh that we should be terribly excited about because of the health problem and i know i mean i think it's or the the potential health forecast because i mean we've already yeah we've already seen the issues um and, and another player there obviously they also brought in hanley ramirez and he's had his own share of health issues already uh, not quite the same type of body type or anything like that i think what's interesting to about the about this is uh and the thing just the the local stuff that i read on the move was hey uh okay they brought in hanley ramirez unless they trade xander bogarts it looks like ramirez will be slotted into left field uh, and that seems to make sense for boston and it's like okay clearly they were going to trade someone in the outfield already but now they have like 17 outfielders instead of 16 <laughs> so it, it's like i mean obviously you you don't pay Hanley Ramirez or agree to a deal with Hanley Ramirez for four years, 88 million. And he's not in the starting lineup. Uh, you don't, pay, you don't bring him in, but so, you know, uh, somebody is on the move and, and maybe for Boston, the question is more like we haven't actually determined who that'll be like, uh, who we trade with will help us determine that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think that, uh, there's a chance, um, and I haven't speculated about this too publicly because I'm not, not sure of this, but I think this is an interesting thing to think about, at least. Well, there's no better uh, place to reveal it than here. Yeah, right. Uh, free agency for pitchers kind of sucks. And if you want, like, an ace, um, you're going to buy a post-peak ace, um, and you're going to pay him, you know, six years and $130 million. Um, and, uh, and then you're going to get the years where he breaks down. So... I wonder if they thought, you know, given aging curves, given what they're seeing, given the dearth of offense, um, given their uh, decent bevy of, of, of prospects that could be good. I like Alan Webster. Alan Webster has four 
uh, above average pitches by pitch uh, by whiff whiff rates. Um, I know he has bad control. I like Henry Owens. I think he's one of the better pitching prospects in the in the minors, maybe number two or number three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I think they have some stuff there that they can sort of count on to fill out the rotation. They're just looking for a number one. Um, I'm wondering if they thought let's acquire our ace through trade. Yeah, that uh, seems to make a lot of sense. Obviously, there's with the talk of them trying, you know, at least uh, putting out the feelers for Cole Hamels, that would obviously be an ideal solution. I always thought Cole Hamels would be an excellent pitcher in the AL East. Well, you know, that's been a topic of conversation. And I know that uh, people have been uh, upset about uh, certain ways that Hamels has been talked about on fan graphs. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting. Uh when you trade for Cole Hamels, you have to admit you're not just trading. You're not trading for Cole Hamels on arbitration salaries. You're trading for Cole Hamels at close to market rate. Right. Um, so people have gotten really upset when you know to suggest that it wouldn't take that much to get uh, Cole Hamels. And I honestly, I think that maybe that's it'll take more than just uh, you know like Eduardo Rodriguez. Or I mean, I like the the approach that Sullivan took, and I like the piece, but. I think it will probably take more than that. Um, and so you were talking bets or Bogarts, and, you know, these things are now more possible given they have Hanley. I wouldn't want to play Hanley at short, so I think I'd probably be talking bets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these things are more possible now that they have 18 outfielders. Uh, so Hamels is on the table. But I think there might even be a name that we're not thinking of right now um, that might be even more attractive um, for for Boston, maybe a name that's not in um, in the na- in the news right now. Because if you think about it, um, what would it take to get like a sale? You know, what would it take to get um, a younger uh, starter that's an ace that is on a better contract? It would right. take the kind of stuff that Boston has right now. Right. So, uh, and I think that they they might be somewhat inclined to try and get a mid twenties starter. I, I wish that a name just sort of jumped to my head, but um, you know, it, it's not. It's going to be something outside the box. Um, it may not be Hamels because if if you're Boston, you're going to say, "Well, we have to pay the hundred million dollars left, so you know, we're not going to give you everything you want." Right. And so that I think that conversation would be very difficult for Ruben Amaro. Also, Ruben Amaro has to build a team, and and Cole Hamels is a is a good pitcher uh, on a market rate. You know, why would he necessarily have to suspend him? So. Yeah, he doesn't because he's. I mean, they've already stated their desire. They want three top prospects, which is not going to happen. I mean, that's there. It doesn't seem likely that Hamels will necessarily be on the move to begin with. So that's what I'm saying, you know. And and he in the past has not traded things because he didn't like the the prospects that were coming back. You know, (laughs) because it turns out that all Phillies are way better, uh, according to Amaro, than they are to everyone else. Right. I mean, he he couldn't trade away Cliff Lee. You know. So, um, yeah, that might have been an injury shit. I, I know. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, in general, I think that Ruben uh, has a low opinion of other people's prospects. And it's, it, it, if, you, if you saw some of the leaked stuff that came out, it, it's, a, it's an endemic thing in, in, in baseball. They all have high opinions of their own stuff, and they all ask for the moon. And, uh, Sounds and, just like a fantasy owner. Oh, my God. And, and you know, I've, I've played with these guys. There are guys who get crazy deals just because they hold that line and they just keep throwing deals out there and keep throwing deals out there. And 
they get deals eventually where you're like, God, why did you give him that? You know? Yep. And it's because <laughs> they they just kept saying, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I I've heard that Friedman's hard to deal with, and and he's had some some good deals that have gone his way, and so. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think that's definitely something that happens out there in terms of, um, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, the easiest thing is Cespedes goes, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think like a Cespedes for Ian Kennedy swap, um, would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, the Padres seem to be wanting to, to beef up their offense or, you know, and have been talking to, to position players and, um, you know, can make room for, for Cespedes and Kennedy's on a one-year deal. And, but, um, you know, do I, is that really solve the, the rotation issues for the, for the Red Sox? I don't know. I think it may be something bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I would um, say so. Uh, and I mean, as far as the outlook, I mean, there's, there's nothing really that changes much about Hanley's outlook. I would assume from a fantasy perspective, moving to Boston, I mean, uh, other than again, like park factors, there's nothing really different. There's not a whole well, lot different to analyze. Because I think that there's going to be some people out there that say that um, he's going to stay healthier because he's not going to play short. And uh, we've talked about this idea a little bit before, but I, I, I wanted to go and actually look at some numbers, and they're a little bit old, but I have Zimmerman's numbers: uh, total trips to the DL from 2002 to 2012. So over a decade, uh, total trips to the DL. Uh, shortstops went to the DL less than anybody except for DHs. <laughs> well, uh, so you know, total trips to the DL, shortstops had the best outcomes. And if you compare them to right and left field, uh, they shortstops went to the DL 213 times, right field 264 times, left field 261 times. And I think I know exactly why this happens. It happens because of what happens to Hanley. You go to left field when you're older. Yeah. You go to right field when you're older. You start at short. You start at left. Think about Craig Biggio's career. Uh, you know, you think about all sorts of people's careers. You, you, you start at the harder position, and then you get moved. Uh, if your bat is good enough, you get moved uh, further along, or you leave baseball. So um, I think that, you know, Hanley is – shown that he's not really a shortstop anymore. So now he's in that group of left fielders and right fielders. He's 30 years old. Uh, he's going to go to the DL again. I, th- I think, I mean, it's probably a, co- it's, there's, there has to be some sort of combination factor working in the sense that like, there's also a shortstop almost never deals with um, the in-play wall or the, uh, the, the barrier with the, the stands, whereas the corner right. outfielders do on a regular basis and they deal with foul territory yeah. And stuff like that. So, uh, and in addition to the wall behind them, and of course and you can trade, you can trade uh, soft tissue situations for shortstop stopping and starting. You can trade those things for, you know, broken bones, broken whatever concussions. So, uh, I, th- <clears throat> I think, and it's interesting you mentioned the like the DH thing. I, I started to wonder like I was when I was reading Pod Order's article on on Adam LaRoche about how like there's you know the. And it just reminded me of the the whatever the the DH discount or whatever, like the the slight loss of Woba. Is that kind of the same thing? Is it a, poten- a potential same? Th- I mean, like generally players move to DH as they get older. Well, uh, the, in this case, uh, it's half the league, so you'd have to pretty much double it. So uh, if you double the DH, the DH uh, trips to DL, you get two forty four, which is right in line with uh, 
it's a little bit more than first first baseman. No, no, no I'm talking about uh, performance. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's. I think that's that's something that is uh, being researched as we speak. And okay. uh, if you were talking about like sort of war and stuff, and and how we think of DHs, I think we're going to find some stuff uh, coming out this winter um, about how we treat DHs. I know, for example, that Dan Zimborski has a different DH adjustment than Fangraphs uh, when it comes to war. Um, I know that Jeff Zimmerman is doing some research on this. Um, and it revolves around uh, a couple of things. One thing is there's a, a pinch hitter penalty when you, um, in terms of uh, if you take the same player and you pinch hit him, or if you take the same player and you play him on the field, that when he pinch hits, he'll be 10% worse. So, uh, and this applies to pinch hitters and DHs because you're not warm. I guess the theory is you're not warm, you're not in the game, you're not active. You're sitting on a bench, and then you just, then you just get up and hit, you know. Right. Yeah, uh, that's and that's definitely understandable. I was just curious if maybe. So, but no, but so if you look at stats that a DH has done in the past, um, as a DH, those already had the, the the DH penalty in it. Okay. So theoretically, David Ortiz is a better hitter than he's shown because he's been doing it as a DH. So, yep. um, you know, either if, that or he is much more content sitting on his butt between innings. <laughs> Either way, the thing that I think I would use, the way I would use to describe it is that DHing is a skill. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that pinch hitting, DHing, that is, I think there's a skill there. Because if you think about like Lenny Harris, the guy who, you know, who leads, I think he has the records for pinch hits. Right. You know, he spent his whole career coming off the bench and he figured out how to stay warm. I don't know if it was jogging in the in the dugout or or, you know, staying on the top step and really staying in the game or, you there's know, a, there's, a, whatever. there's a bit of a psychological skill in it. In essence. Yeah. 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 And I think because it was psychological, we haven't given it much credit. Uh, but um, uh, I do think that uh, there's something there. And I think we'll see some more research about it. As far as like Hanley's injuries, uh, it's really hard to say that anything's going to get better anywhere. I mean, he's he's been hit, uh, hit by pitches. Uh, he has two, uh, four Different injuries uh, due to hit by pitches um, in t- 2014 alone, uh, and then other than the hit by pitch stuff, he had a thumb contusion, a lower leg strain, a shoulder inflammation, shoulder inflammation, lower leg strain, another contusion, and an abdomen strain. So he had an oblique thing. So he gets in, he gets injuries everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. So I, it, I don't think that anything is going to necessarily get better in any situation. And even with the DH thing, um, yes, maybe he could play some of those games as a DH when he couldn't in the past, so you will get that. But you don't actually, because we just talked about the DH penalty, we don't actually know if he'll be good right. as a DH. Um, so, uh, you know, you could get more plate appearances and therefore a couple more runs in RBI, which would be good for, for padding his stats. Uh, but you may it may hurt him somewhere else. So, any guys, I mean, I, I'm somewhat bullish on him. He'll be still at least in yearly leagues. He'll still be shortstop eligible no matter what happens. His batting average should be pretty nice, I think. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's still reasons to to make him a top three shortstop. I don't know if he'll be number one or well, who's number two. Uh, oh gosh, Reyes maybe. Just yeah. <laughs> relative reliability. Uh, 
if Desmond had the season he did, and yeah, yeah, it's got to be Desmond. Then he's still number one. Uh, Reyes ended the season number two. I don't think Alexi Ramirez deserves to be. Uh, he was number three, but I doubt no, I'm, I'm no, put no. back there. And then Tulowitzki has the same old problem. He managed to be number four, even though um, he missed two thirds of a season or a, th- a third of the season, and so was still I, number four. Yeah, I think you know you got the Tulo Reyes Hanley scrum, and and everyone's going to have those ranked a little differently. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely true. Um, so <coughs> as far as LaRoche's move to Chicago, again, this is strictly a park factor thing. But I mean, Washington basically played neutral. Now LaRoche goes to best homer park in the biz. Um, the only he thing here, top eleven uh, first baseman this year. Yeah, and uh, well, I think what well, the only thing, the only fear I have with LaRoche, and I think Potters are pointing out some interesting stuff, is like the the platoon splits he seemed to experience, and uh, he may be platooned. Like, he yeah. may be a platoon. I think they have more of an opportunity to do that with the DH. There's yeah. more people who can move around. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it'd be interesting, like, do people um, overestimate the impact of the park factor relative? I mean, I guess LaRoche might hit 30 homers, but uh, he's also going to be th- uh, 35 or older. 36, I think. And he's only actually hit 30 homers twice in his career, so... Uh, and you know he was he was in a he was a he was in a hitter's park once he was in Arizona for a year mm-hmm. twenty five homers yeah so let's I mean let's not uh, I think there yeah, there's just there's a potential to overvalue what Laroche could do because uh, and, and health has been a little bit of an issue for him in the past um, again he's he, yeah <laughs> no he just turned thirty. He just turned 35, so next year will be his age 35 season. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have the big eyes. Uh, but uh, White Sox uh, Park is a lot better for righties than lefties, at least by our uh, uh, park factors. Uh, 114 for righties uh, for homers, 106 for lefties. Uh, the Indians has a nicer park. have a nicer park for home runs by lefties, so that might surprise you. That is a little surprising. Yeah, it uh, looks like 11th or something. Okay. Um, well, here's one for you. Uh, is Ernesto Frieri the latest Tampa Bay Rays uh, reclamation project in the bullpen? This seems like Fernando Rodney times 10. <laughs> like, And on top of it, um, there's a lot of change. There's been a lot of turnover in terms of uh, the talent evaluation and um, – and of course, the manager. So, gotta or just the staff in general. You gotta have some questions about. Uh, you know, first of all, can they continue to work the same kind of magic? Uh, but then also, is Freeri salvageable? Just, a, just a, something to ponder, I guess. You know, obviously, we don't have to spend too much time on it in our Freeri, but uh, interested to see if you think that he is salvageable. <laughs> I guess if you throw a two seamer as hard as he can, anything's possible. Yeah, you know, uh, whatever that pitch is, uh, four seam or two seam, this fastball is uh, top 20 in whiff rate. So, and that was last year, which wasn't his best year. So, um, you know, that alone, especially for a reliever, it averages, you know, 94 miles an hour and and, uh, and gets a double-digit whiffs like that, 12% last year. Um, I think that's that's a reason enough to, I mean, they only spent 800,000 on 
Yeah, that's a potentially a pretty good deal. I mean, they've done they've, they've done three this three million if, he, if he's if he's good, but still, right. eight hundred if he's bad. So uh, <laughs> the question for me is, I don't know what the hell is going on with this breaker. He's he's used a cutter and a slider uh, year in from year to year. Tried each of them. None of them's been above average. Um, I mean, I guess the cutter is above average for a cutter, but if he's using it like a breaking ball, it doesn't reach the um, the slider level. So it's he's got a below average breaking ball, and he can't really uh, he can't really figure it out. I think he can't really command it. I believe I've read like he's he vir- he's hardly ever thrown a changeup because he's never found one that works for him. Yeah, so- I mean, in general, uh, command is a is a problem for him, but. Um, he, 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 when he's commanding his four-seamer, he's pretty good. And then he just needs to, to have a show-me breaking pitch um, to, to, to keep people off his, his four-seamer in a way. So, or or two-seamer, whatever it is. But, I mean, it's, it's got a lot of movement. It's, a rise, it's one of those rise balls where um, it has a couple inches more vertical movement uh, than your regular four-seam. Um, and that would, I think that would set up his slider better than his cutter because his slider has more drop. Um, but, uh, perhaps it's hard for him to make the slider look like the four scene, um, long enough. So in any case, uh, I mean, I'll take a guy like that. Uh, he could totally close, uh, depending on what, how they use McGee. Uh, I think it does devalue, uh, McGee a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, one year leagues and, or in keeper leagues and, and how much you, uh, you want to get McGee? How much would you pay for McGee? I mean, I love McGee, and he has the rates of a of a Doolittle, and he should be a, an, an unquestioned closer, um, especially now that they, I think they signed McGee to a long term deal. Um, mm-hmm. Just doesn't seem to be uh, the, the the team doesn't seem to want to do that. It is. I think that's going to be an interesting kind of the dynamics of the team are going to be interesting to see how they affect Hanrahan's uh, role, and then also uh, kind of. Somewhat similar situation, uh, Joel Hanrahan to Detroit. Now he's um, not quite a year removed from Tommy, or I'm sorry, yes, he's uh, a year and a half removed from Tommy John surgery now. Um, so the, I guess the question becomes, of course, is he going to recover his uh, complete health or close to it uh, and be effective there? But then, of course, this is something we've seen in a, in a short stint we've seen him kind of uh, usurp and be the closer. I don't know that that's... I've never been a big hand fan myself, but um, considering just, their uh, options. Quick update. They did not um, sign McGee to a long-term deal. Um, and so, therefore, that might have something to do with why they have avoided putting him in the closer role. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, hand uh, you know, I shrug. I think that's... I actually do think that this is the kind of thing that they should do. Yes. Uh, I think they should do more of it. They should, they should have, you know, I, I think, I don't know people, you know, give the tigers a lot of crap for, for not doing enough with their, their bullpen. Um, and, but I think this is the kind of stuff they should do. They should, uh, spend some $1 million con uh, guaranteed contracts for MLB veterans on bounce back deals. Just like this, you should have four or five of these guys in there because they can afford to lose a million dollars. Um, and drop a guy off their roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, when Hanrahan's going well, you know, it's pretty nice. I mean, he, he has a, you know, 94, 95, 96 even um, on our fastball and then a, 
pretty devastating slider. I mean, for his career, it has a 26% whip rate. It's, it's a nice slider. Yeah, so this could... I mean, yeah, this is... With a couple of these, Detroit could end up with... And... and uh, Again, I blanked on the fella's name. In Detroit? Yes. Nathan? No, coming off Tommy John surgery himself, the young stuff fella. Oh, um, Rondon. Rondon, Bruce Rondon. Yes, yes. Yeah. That'll be interesting as well. But, I mean, he's... It's been... Uh, it hasn't been quite as long for him as far as uh, the TJS goes, so... And he had some real control issues before, and control right. doesn't always come back. So I, I don't know if that I would uh, handicap him in first. I think Nathan's still on the first spot. Um, is Saria a free agent? No. Saria is back. So I think I might actually give Saria first spot. I mean, mm-hmm. once you once you have, like, a whole offseason to think about it, um, you know, I, I think they might come back and say it's open competition in the spring between Saria and Nathan. Um, and then Hanrahan and Rondon are the guys that step in there. Both the, the veterans go kaput. Um, looks like they went and got Josh Zide too, which I actually liked him. Yes, I remember. Uh, you took him with your last reserve pick of A Labor? Yeah, I, 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 I think there's a reason to like Josh Zide. It's mostly due to my uh, the stuff you all hear all the time about um, velocity and... Uh, yeah, pitch type peripherals. I mean, let me see what I have to remind myself. But uh, yeah, he has a, a slider that has a twenty percent whiff rate, and he has a split finger that has a twenty three percent whiff rate. Those are both good. That's pretty good. And it is his fastball goes ninety four, averages ninety four, and has uh, has whiffs. So uh, you know, I I don't know why Houston let him go. I guess maybe they thought. The, the control wasn't going to get better, or the homers were never going to get figured out. I don't know why you would let someone like that go. Um, must have been, have been a, 40, <laughs> a forty-man roster situation. I mean, they they want to get younger. They they probably had more pieces of prospects they want to look at than their than a reliever that might be okay. Yeah. So I actually I think they're tired you know, of it, discovering JD Martinez. Yeah, right. They they didn't want it. they'd rather lose the next Chad Qualls than you know lose the next. Uh, J.D. Martinez. So, uh, you know, even if you look at, at, um, at Josh Zide's uh, traditional peripherals, uh, you know, swinging strike rate, uh, 11% swinging strike rate usually adds up to more than seven, uh, you know, seven and a half strikeouts per nine. So, yeah, even if there's um, simply a sequence issue or, or a situation yeah. issue or something, there's something somebody eventually can seems to be likely to figure out how to get that get better from him in terms of strikeouts. Yeah, and this is exactly exactly what I would do if I was the Tigers. They're they're they're. I don't I, I don't fault this at all. Now they have. I like this better than than they They've, have in the past. They have already had a better off season with the bullpen this this winter. Yeah, I think like so. three weeks into it than they had than they I did mean, all of last year. I mean, last year it looked like they kind of signed. Um, they they signed uh, what's his face Jabba. And they, you know, and they brought in Nathan and Chaba, and that's it. <laughs> right. And oh, that, they did. They did re-sign Phil Coke, I think. So that kind of. <laughs> I like. I like these these depth pieces. Zide, uh, Hanrahan, you know, Rondon coming back. Uh, I think some of it also is uh, cumulative. So Jabba is Jabba still there? Why is he not on the depth chart? Is he hurt? Uh, not that I'm aware. I think maybe it was only a one-year deal for him. Oh. 
I was going to say it was cumulative and they still have Java, but I was perhaps incorrect. I do. Yeah, they signed it for one year. Interesting. I wonder if they want him back. Uh, probably at a lot less money. <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> they only gave no, it was too bad. Time it. Uh, it was, we'll it was not a bad season. Yeah. But uh, they probably figure, I mean, if they figure so, and I would think that, I mean, as we've learned about the relievers, like you can get away with spending less on a guy that can bounce back or do better. Uh, now, I mean, this is, I guess it's a little interesting in light of the Billy Butler signing, but Pittsburgh traded Ike Davis to Oakland uh, after they DFA'd him. Um, and, you know, really Davis is on the outside looking in for a 25 man spot or even a 40 man spot, whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, I think that's what people, some people missed. They were like, Oh, you know, he's, He's got value, you know. People celebrated too early on the, you know, he didn't have value. But if you look at first base, I mean, I, the depth chart, I think, could change. So I think Sam Fold could end up um, more of a fourth outfielder. So that's uh, so that makes it crisp and Reddick, and I think you can put Moss in the outfield. That's not necessarily on our depth chart right now, but I think you can do that because Moss told me personally he likes the outfield better if his hip is feeling better. Uh, he might be out there. Plus, they've accrued uh, first baseman types. And uh, they said, Billy Bean said, Billy Butler is going to uh, play against lefties in, in, in the field. So uh, you've already got uh, Billy Butler uh, one-third of the time at first base. Um, you've got Moss maybe in the outfield. And then you've got the Fryman-Jaso uh, uh, Blanks situation. Mm-hmm. Um, where you, that's where you're throwing Davis in, right? So, Jaso is the is is the superior hitter of the bunch, and that's uh, the guy they originally had expressed the desire to play at first. Exactly before they had made all these acquisitions. Yeah, so I think uh, Jaso. I think it, 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 I just like trying to quickly do it. I think it would be Jaso Butler is the the first base platoon. Um, and then the DH platoon otherwise is Butler and whoever's hurt. Um, I think that's, that's the sort of plan in general. Left field is Moss, uh, catcher is Boat and, and Norris. And I don't think that leaves uh, a spot for Ike Davis because, um, well, you normally have about 13 hitters and, um, you've got, uh, four outfielders to count Moss as an outfielder, um, yeah, I don't think I don't think there's there's enough space because you need to have at least two infielders, middle middle you know guys who can play third base. So yeah, I think uh, I mean <clears throat> Davis and is... their second base situation is likely to be a platoon unless they buy somebody because a Sogard, you know, could use could use a caddy. I mean they they didn't you know so there's probably going to be two second basemen. Maybe one of them is the backup shortstop, and then you know I just don't think there's room for Ike Davis. I think he's on the outside looking in. Yeah, Davis. I mean, this seems to be the same thing. Like, we see the A's do this. They they throw darts at first base, and this is not a bad, maybe not a bad, yeah, dart Atterberg. throw. Atterberg. but <laughs> uh, but uh, and Derek Barton, et cetera, et cetera, good, yeah, excellent yeah. defender. I mean, they, but uh, I mean, Davis contact. I mean, he traded. He actually went up in contact rate this year. 
very low reach rate. Swinging strike rate actually dropped quite a bit. I mean, just in general as a patient, I mean, there's there are flaws in the swing. We've seen that. That's kind of always something we speculated about when first watching him is he has that strange, he drops his, oh, I mean, the, the scouty thing. that and, so, and some people said, oh, that's not going to be a problem. And others said that's going to be a huge problem. And I don't even know if that's actually the problem, but there's a problem. And so, yeah. It, well, one, you know, one less reported problem, or, you know, I guess Mets fans are his attitude. And, um, you know, this, this was the first time that I think he sort of was like, oh, um, I'm, you know, not everyone's in love with me and I better, you know, work a little bit harder. I, I, I would say that that is probably true just from having talked to him a couple of times and, and having been around him. So, you know, maybe he needed a wake up call. I I hate saying that sort of stuff because a lot of times you don't know if anything is, was really there. But you know, pair that with uh, a big change in swing strike rate, uh, definitely way different than ever before. Um, strikeout rate, uh, yeah. There's I mean there's 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 a possibility he's useful. I just wouldn't bet on it. Right. Uh, I, I you know I have a twenty team twenty eight keeper league. I don't know if I'd keep him. I think I'd. Try to get it back. Yeah. Kind of a late a late acquisition reserve we, pick. We spent a lot of words on a guy that we're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to skip right over. As a result, we're going to skip right over Juan Nicasio to Dodgers. I just like to think of Nicasio as a younger um, Joe Blanton with a better fastball, and but less control. Which is kind of strange because really Joe Blanton is all about the control. But that's just why people liked Nicasio. Good strikeouts, uh, good yeah, walks. His but... slider is still good. His slider is still good. And, you know, for whatever he's lost in terms of uh, velocity over the last couple of years, uh, he could gain that back maybe with a full year in the bullpen. So, But even with the velocity, it's just a BP fastball that's harder. I think like I've never, I, and I could be wrong as far as the movements, but just when I watch the guy pitch, it seems to me like it's, it's a straight great. fastball. Yeah. It's great. I mean, even my pitch FX, it's two or three inches straighter than your regular four seam. So Joe Blanton, uh, everybody, it yeah. might work for him for a year or two somewhere in a really good park, but, uh, that's just in anyway. a bullpen. Also Joe Blanton didn't really have that velocity. Don't think. That's true. That is true. So, uh, so it kind of works for, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy in the white, Matt Lindstrom, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he managed uh, to make it for uh, Ryan Braun says says the thumb is now 100% post-surgery. Uh, this excites me a little because before... You know, that, that is, is pretty amazing. That's pretty good. I'm sorry? I mean, his thumb is literally 100% post-surgery. The surgery is complete. <laughs> 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 that is an excellent point. So what you're saying is there's really no change at all. Yeah, I mean, this will be interesting. I think this is, to me, this is kind of the the crucial, this is the pivotal thing about Braun's value. Is Braun, um, is Braun uh, 2013 and back um, or is he not? And I think this will be kind of basically tell us and because I, I don't think i don't i think this is a lot less related to the peds and a lot more related to the health uh his performance uh some people may beg to differ this is kind of but this could also be the kind of reason to think that you know there might be might be a lot of people excited about this uh th- this is this is news or noise in the sense like does this 
does this affect its value way more than it should? Uh, because we still, we don't entirely know. But I think this is the kind of thing that does improve his outlook, not necessarily his draft stock. Yeah. yeah I think it would be, be hard to see where he goes. I Hard not to give him that sort of 20 and 5 label. Yeah. As a uh, you know a thirty one year old with his history, um, you know he probably he could have hit twenty two if he had more of a full season. You don't know what the the thumb sapped from his his power. I mean, it's just really hard to prognosticate around him. Right, it is. It is very much so. <laughs> I I kind of like the steamer projection because it's not anything outlandish. Uh, it kind of looks like a slightly better than than uh, Yasuo Puig maybe. Uh, so, but I mean, yeah, I think, Puig's going to be a, a top two rounder. So yeah, yeah. and I think so, right in there. Which which would you take? Just you know, whatever league doesn't matter. Which would you take first? Puig. Puig. I'm taking Puig just because he's younger. Health, health and youth. Yeah, and I believe I believe uh, he's got more power in him. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with that. Yeah, I would take Puig. Um, but I, it's good. It's good for Brown that he's still in that discussion. I mean, that's uh, he still he still retains some value. I think I would take Braun because I think well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this year, and I think it's still. I mean, it's still potential for thirty home runs plus because of the ballpark he's still in, and like I still think that that's a possibility, and I don't think Puig is quite there yet. So I think I might take the chance, uh, and that even if so, maybe that you know, two thousand fourteen is still like. Maybe not, and, maybe not the floor, but it's not like it's or close to it. Maybe that is the floor. So I think maybe that's. If you bring in, bring in, if you bring in uh, cost, uh, you might be making the right decision because I do think Puig will cost more than Brown. Okay, interesting. I'm not really sure. I like I, and I'm not. I don't. I'm not disagreeing. I don't really know. I, I think that's that's always interesting. There are always some, some some slight surprises to me, but people always think a little differently from the way I do. And, and obviously, I mean, we don't all think alike, so that's always a good thing. Uh, but it, yeah, that's, it's going to be interesting to see, to me to see the cost there. Some players are always discounted a little more than I expect and vice versa. Yeah. I think that's going to be one of these cases where it's just, it's hard to know. Uh, before, before we get into, uh, some discussions about outfielders, if we get a chance to talk about some real quick, obviously that's what, what we talked about in each of the last couple of weeks, but we did want to talk about a couple of things folks have brought up on Twitter. First, I just want to bring up to Eno uh, because, uh, well, no, yeah, yeah. First, I want to bring up to Eno. I want to get down to this one here. But uh, we talked about Brandon Belt a little bit earlier this offseason, especially when we talked about the first baseman. But we had that the Twitter question. I wanted to get you to address that because I think uh, you basically state this case very succinctly as far as Brandon Belt's. Uh, well, he, you know, he, we're asked specifically, uh, or, or a Twitterer asked me specifically about Brandon Belt's the 240 ISO versus right-handed pitchers, um, and he had some late season, season success against right-handed pitchers. Uh, is this based on some intentional change, et cetera? Uh, and and uh, is, you know, basically, is this the kind of thing that he can sustain? Are we looking at a potential, you know, kind of uh, power bloomer? I think, but I think just in general, I wouldn't even look at that stint. Although maybe that is some kind of clue. But you talked about how. Um, there's kind of some some real power breakout potential in general this upcoming season. Well, I mean, yeah, the one thing that uh, that he did um, differently, it, he, he changed his grip and he also changed his stance, and then he started uh, swinging at pitches on the inside part of the plate more. Um, and so basically he's adding pull 
uh, power to uh, what has in the past been sort of a spray approach. So there is the potential in a full healthy season to, you know, take the ball the other way, the other way for hits and then uh, and have a nice uh, batting average of balls in play as he did in 2012 and 2013 when he had a 351 BABIP over the course of two seasons. Um, and then add that to the added power that he's had um, when he had his career high uh, ISO last year and, and pulled more pitches out of the park. So that's that potential's there. Coming off of a 230 uh, plate appearance season in which he was hurt, uh, we know that uh, Jeff Zimmerman's um, uh, uh, work on projections has shown that guys um, who were hurt get underprojected for power. So um, you see the 184 ISO. Uh, and you see the 590 plate appearances, those are based on uh, his injuries, but um, were, you know, is, is that concussion something that's going to come back? Is he going to get hit again? I don't think those things are necessarily um, endemic just yet. I mean, right. a guy like Jaso has been, is a catcher and has been hit, you know, three or four times, and it's starting to get a little bit more scary for him, I think. Uh, a guy like Belt, you know, it's, He's not more. Justin Morneau played hockey as a kid. Yeah, right. I mean, these are different situations. He's not there yet, um, and he got hit on the on the on the bat with it. I mean, that can happen anytime. So, I think uh, I wouldn't have any problem giving him 600 plate appearances. I wouldn't have any problem giving him uh, 22, 23 homers next year. Um, and um, you know, I, I I I am a little bit nervous about uh, his strikeout rate and. Because, you know, the more you pull, I think the more you do open yourself up for, for whiffs away. Um, and he was a little bit less patient. So he's become a little bit more aggressive. But even if you give him only like a 260 batting average, 22, 23, 24 homers, what you're going to get is a LaRoche-type package, I think, mm -hmm. um, with a few stolen bases and more upside. And um, LaRoche is 35, so LaRoche mostly uh, has downside for you. Plus the fact he might get platooned, DH. He's never really uh, been a DH, so um, I think there's you know to get Laroche in the past uh, now with down with, with offense down. Um, depending on the cost, I, I could be I could be convinced to take some Brandon Belt shares next year. For sure, for sure, and. Uh, you have you've you've gotten me a little t a little on his bandwagon. And now this one, um, we were asked this and. Uh, based on our last blog, we were talking about uh, Russell Martin's move to Toronto. So I was curious about this too, because I really don't know where to start with this. But uh, is there any effect that good framing could ha could have, like uh, as a you know, is there a positive potential effect uh, for a pitcher like R.A. Dickey, who obviously relies on a knuckleball? It's not quite as wild a knuckleball; it's a hard knuckler. But um, is there, is there, or, or is there, is there even a change as far as knuckleballing and, and, and pitch framing goes? Is it just a difficult pitch to frame? Really, yeah. I don't think people really looked into the, to the uh, pitch types. I would say that, um, for in general, Dickey actually has above average control. Um, I don't know about command. I mean, you do you command a knuckleball, you sort of just let it go. Um, but he d managed to keep it around the zone and has had uh, good walk rates ever since uh, you know this new version of Dickey has come about. I would say that it's probably very hard to frame a knuckleball because, um, from what I've known, um, 
you the best framers sort of anticipate where the ball is going and then and 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 stick it without any sort of movement mm-hmm. and i think that almost nobody can anticipate where the knuckleball is going um and that's what's so great about it so <laughs> i think uh i i think uh he may not have so much of an effect there i think that he could have a, a great effect on stroman uh sanchez and norris right. uh, those are the those are the guys i'm looking for because just because of their youth um and they're more they're more traditional pitchers. I don't think Burley's going to uh, gain that much. He he's around the zone all the time anyway. Um, so I, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at a breakout really. Uh, I, like I said, I think Stroman is going to be one of the guys I own as like a sort of uh, secondary ace, and uh, and I think I'm going to try and get Norris and Sanchez uh, for cheap at the end of uh, at the end of some of my. Uh, some of my pitching staffs. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, just in general, you have to like the Toronto pitches just pitchers just a, a tiny bit more. Uh, and now, I just want to talk uh, real quick. We were asked about a couple of situations on Twitter. I thought it would be good for just to toss some things around and talk about first about the uh, the Jorge Soler or Jose Abreu debate. Basically, um, fella gets to draft one of these and keep him forever. And Abreu seems like the obvious choice. Um, it's a keep, it's keep forever, no penalty type thing. So I think the you know question is, I mean, Abreu is 27, and Soler is what 23, I think, uh, and maybe that affects your decision. There's also the position, uh, and yeah, Soler has a little bit of speed. Is that enough to make up what Abre- for Abreu, which seems like basically a sure thing? In his case, you know, there's there's a little bit of a defensive component. Um, if Abreu ends up at DH, uh, that would be ah, uh, that's that true for him. Um, yeah, he gets some sort of value uh, out of Soler being in the outfield. Yeah, adding that uh, to but, it, to be honest, like I think you can make the case to keep Soler. I, I like Soler. I mean, he's easily the most appealing Cubs prospect for a number of factors. Um, yeah, in terms of reliability, I think. Like, I mean, I. Any of these prospects can bust. I just I like him. I mean, like he's twenty twenty five home runs and ten fifteen stolen bases for a few years. There's a lot of there's also a lot of weird things going on in Abreu's numbers. I mean, um, you know he's got uh, he's got a two sixty four ISO despite hitting you know one and a half grounders for every fly ball, mm-hmm. uh, which you know means that he's got a twenty seven percent home run for fly ball. It's just amazing. He he had an average strikeout rate for the major leagues, and that's partly why he put up a 300 average. Plus, he had a 356 batter, but he also had a 14% swing strike rate. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's something I noticed that uh, uh, when I was doing, yeah, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that was I thought that's extremely odd and something I noticed that was uh, that he was kind of among. It was just like Chris Davis in the sense, like it was strange that he walked 8.2 percent of the time, but he had a 72.72 percent contact rate, and he had a 14 percent swinging strike rate. As you said, like there are some things there that suggest, I mean, Abreu, and I haven't actually broken them down by half or anything like that. Obviously, Abreu still hit well in the second half, but the power went away. It's just it would be interesting to see. I mean, Abreu looks like a really really good hitter. Uh, but there are certainly some flaws, and he is, I mean, he's already peak, so it's not like these things are going to get any better, right, other than it, yeah, league yeah. adjustments? He's a candidate for being overrated. I think, you know, it's just it's just hard because defense offense is down, and he did hit 36 homers, and 
he is a man child. So, you know, or not a child anymore, but you know, he's a big, he's a beast. So, (laughs) uh, it'd be hard to, you know, what I would say is this, if, if you could give me, uh, the second pick and an asset, uh, that might change things. Cause I, I know this guy's league a little bit and, um, I know he's looking for some pitching and stuff like that. So if you gave me, you know, a really, a pretty good pitcher and the second pick for my first pick, I think I might let you have a Brave, have the DH, and I'll get some defensive value out of Solaire. I'll get a younger guy. Um, I get a guy who's going to give me some stolen bases and, um, you know, maybe take that sort of fringe value and add it up to being close to being a Brayu, but I got also got this pitcher. So Yeah, I'm kinda of, I'm kinda of with you. And I think the way he puts this is he says if a Brayu's a ten, where is Solaire? Is he a nine, seven, you said eight. That was yeah. that was like your gut reaction. But I think more importantly, just what we're trying to say is Abreu's not a ten. Like you're saying if he is, but like then we it's hard to say Solaire's a ten. But I think it's more like if think of Abreu as maybe a nine point five. <laughs> yeah, or nine or something like yeah i mean if, that, if those are the best guys that are available and I, I know what his league is like it's very strange they actually they play last year's stats so like he's actually he would be picking a Breus, uh last year yeah um which so is very much like that's very that's that's pretty sim, much like stratomatic or something like that minus the fact that it seems like it's fantasy yeah it's, it's very interesting um and the other one uh, is a fellow who gets to keep looks like ten players, and I mean, and he was throwing at his outfielders to us. It's it's a great collection of outfielders, um, but the penalty is well, it's three rounds, and he has Adam Jones, Brian Braun, uh, we already talked about, and Carlos Gonzalez, and then Marcelo Zuna is a tenth round pick, or would you, he'd give up a tenth round pick, and Avisel Garcia is a twenty third round pick. Um, and a uh, number of other factors, uh, but he has, I mean, he has other players. He has Anthony Rizzo. That's a definite keeper. Cassianos, I mean, kind of give or take him and, Al- and Alcantara in 25th, 26th. But they're, it's, they're understandable keepers, I think. Uh, and we talk- well, The problem is that also the walks are one of his uh, categories. Okay. And, you know, Ozuna and Abazel, they're interesting young players. And I, I think I'd put Abazel ahead because he's a 23rd round keeper and Ozuna's a 10th round keeper. So that's a, that's a lot of rounds. It's a nice nice uh, sort of end game kind of guy. Uh, but neither of them is going to be a monster in terms of... Uh, uh, and that makes also... Uh, I and, mean, I made this... It's probably also going to be a, a risk for both of them. Yeah, and, and Adam Jones is kind of in the same category. He doesn't walk. And he's a first... Like, I mean, I ran this, like... I mean, in an OBP, like... In a batting average league, Adam Jones is a first-round pick. In in an OBP league, he's a second-round pick. That's how much of a difference it makes. So, a healthy cargo is a first-round pick, but cargo as he is, I think, drop into the second round. So, um, I think you know Jones and Cargo are sort of weakish keepers if they're attached to the first round. Um, I don't know how it's going to work for him if if he if he ends up. If he can keep Brown, Braun, Adam Jones, and Cargo, and he just loses his first, second, and third round picks, like that, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, because you're averaging a second round pick for all those each of these yeah, guys, you, you would do that. Jones, your third round pick or whatever, and 
then then don't worry about Ozuna's Abyssale because they're not going to turn into average monsters. They're not going to turn into walks monsters. You know, Ozuna's at a bad home park. Abyssale does have a lot of power, but maybe he'll be there in the 20th round for you this year in the draft. So, um, you know, I, I would... Uh, plus, he has some young he has some young guys, like you said, Rizzo, Castellanos, Alcantara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're outfielders. He says infielders are hoarded. Those guys are outfielders. They'll be back there in the draft. Yes. Yeah, and the only other thing I said was, you know, debatable was uh, Jordan Zimmerman. He gives up a fourth-round pick. Obviously, Jordan Zimmerman, great pitcher. Not uh, to me, that's that's a big sacrifice for um, what is a good pitcher. But uh, I mean, he's not like Kluber is clearly a deal as a fourteenth-round pick, and Sonny Gray, a twenty-second pick, is is that's certainly a, a doable keeper. But I mean, I don't know. Would you would you be inclined to keep a Zimmerman uh, and give up a fourth round pick for him? I mean, I tend not to take a pitcher that early, so already I'm saying probably not. He's not really an ace. No, I wouldn't do that. So I think maybe if you're, you know, if there's some other hitter that you like, or or maybe a, a pitcher or a, well, just a player period that you hadn't previously considered. You know, what, things do change a little bit in that sort of league because you know all these other guys are kept, are kept, right? That is true. Yeah, it depends and, on... And you know that you personally have most of your uh, lineup set with keepers. So now you're talking about, you know, what sort of pitchers are available usually. And I'm in a league that is a little bit like this, and pitchers get taken a lot uh, in the first and second rounds, and mostly because they're thought of as rentals, because nobody really wants to keep a first-round pick anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you pick... Uh, you know, you pick a Chris Sale in the first round, and you 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 you're not probably going to keep him the next year as a first rounder. So you just basically rent your pitcher with your first pick. And I think, given his team, he, he's going to pick a pitcher first, uh, and his first pick is going to be the fourth round. So if he thinks that Zimmerman is out there, uh, if he thinks Zimmerman will be one of the best pitchers available to him in the fourth round when he picks, when he'll probably pick a pitcher because he'll already have eight or nine hitters. Then, uh, then it makes sense just to keep him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense to keep him, yeah. Okay. That is uh, excellent excellent logic, I think. And uh, I think uh, before before we get out of here, I do just – we can dabble just in the outfielders real quick. There are several guys, uh, probably a lot more than that, that we probably would have liked to have talked about. Uh, but uh, I'm curious. I don't think we got Eno's reaction since he is a Mets fan uh, to Michael Kadire's move to the Mets. I'm interested to see what he thinks about that. And if there are any other outfielders that he'd like to discuss uh, and – um, Jay Bruce, for instance, what an awful season that was. <laughs> but uh, what is what is your reaction to Kadir and the Mets? I mean, clearly, first thing, I mean, obviously, huge change in in park factors, uh, and I mean, I'm just curious. You know, basically, I think of this now as Michael Kadir is back in a park just like he was with the Twins, and so he's just kind of a guy. Yeah, I don't know why Steamer gives him a 287 Babbitt, but I mean. His career bat is three fourteen, and it was it was decent before he went to Colorado. So uh, I think uh, he could hit his career batting average two seventy nine. Uh, I think he can hit two eighty in, in New York. Uh, they need right hand power. It made some sense for them as a team. I don't love it uh, for the Mets as a signing, but I think he can hit two eighty with like you know fifteen um, home run uh, pace. The, just the question is, um, you know, how healthy he stays. And 280 with a 15 home run pace is a little different than 
picking up a guy who's injury prone. Um, uh, who who were we talking about earlier? That was in, like a Hanley Ramirez. Hanley Ramirez, when he's in, is going to be excellent, and he's going to be a shortstop. Uh, Kadir, when he's in, is going to be a 280 hitter with 15 home run power. And then when he's not, you're going to be so tempted to cut him. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say Kadir goes on the on the DL for a month for the hamstring thing. You're you're like okay. If you have a three man bench, you're in a you're hamstrung. <laughs> hamstrung. There you go. <laughs> that was an accident. You're wait around for for a month for 280 and 15 homers. So <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think he's going to be the batting average monster he was in in Colorado. That was uh, that was a, a the good home park helping him out. I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and do we want to discuss? I mean, this I, I read. Uh, now I'm suddenly blanking. Oh, uh, Scott Strandberg's piece as far as Jay Bruce goes, and I think like I mean, he was saying the signs were all there, and that's something we've talked a little bit uh, before. But uh, and you also, I mean, you interviewed Bruce earlier this year. Like, is it? I mean, are we kind of like, is this the best it's ever going to? We we saw the best it's ever going to be. I mean, bounce back certainly. You know, that's never off the table. But are we kind of? writing off the 30 home run season? Are we writing off anything that resembles acceptable batting average anymore? Well, you know, the first month uh, that he was in, if you look at his uh, year-long ground ball, fly ball mix, it's uh, more ground ball heavy than he's ever been. And that I did ask him about that specifically, and he said, yeah, the first month that I was in there, my, my knee hurt, and so um, I wasn't hitting the way I normally do. And he did have that knee... Did. The knee procedure, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah that's why he missed about 100 plate appearances over the, the course of that season. So I think that affects his yearly stuff. If you if you sort of um, if you look at his second half splits in terms of ground balls and fly balls, he definitely uh, started hitting ground balls and fly balls in the normal rate. His home run for fly ball rate was down, but he's he's had that number before uh, and hit 25 homers. Um, so. You know, I think his baseline projection for me is a little bit better than his steamer. I would, uh, I think I would uh, expect about a 250 batting average instead of a 239, and about 25 homers uh, from him next year. Approaching uh, 30, right? You could give him that back, right? Then. Yeah, I mean, steamer has that in 558 uh, plate appearances. So Jack if he up, yeah. if he had his health, then that's 28, 29, 30 homers. So. Um, it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing because that's a league average batting average which is not a fantasy league average batting average so he's still going to hurt you in batting average um, just not still got just not quite as much yeah he's got a lot of whiff in his game and the and the whiffs are getting worse and he's getting older and so true you know that's probably why Steamer has him at a two thirty nine uh, you know he I, don't, I asked him about the stolen bases he was like I don't know <laughs> I got to figure out some way to contribute. Right, yeah. So I, I would expect those to go back down to five or six. And so, what if he is two forty, twenty five, twenty six, five five stolen bases? That's uh, that sounds to me like a good. Actually, that still sounds like a good second outfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't want to pay. You know, you're definitely not paying first outfielder prices anymore. No. And frankly, I mean. We probably shouldn't, have, you know, folks shouldn't have been paying that to begin with. It was just uh, too many flaws. He was never going to be, you know, a 300 hitter with you know 10 stolen bases and 30 homers. Right. And um, anybody else who tickles your fancy before we get out of Dodge and, and enjoy our Thanksgiving uh, turkeys? 
maybe no i mean we'll we'll have some time you know once we start uh, ramping up looking forward in the next season and we start talking about depth charts i think um uh a lot of the stuff will shake out uh, you know one guy that came up in my deeper league stuff uh this last week was kevin kiermeyer mm-hmm. i know that some people think he's not a lock for for playing time because you could play joyce jennings and myers in the outfield um that still, to me, leaves DH open. I doubt that they're going to spend money on a DH. Um, so I think more likely Jennings goes the Crawford route, um, ends up in left field. Um, that also keeps him a little bit cheaper in arbitration, honestly, because you're comparing him to left fielders, and he doesn't have the same power. Uh, and he doesn't get the value, the defensive value, for being a center fielder. So you put Kiermaier in center. Uh, you, you put Jennings in left. And you uh, and you kind of Myers Joyce sometimes in the field sometimes in DH. I think that's fine. Yeah. Also, Joyce, Joyce is a needs a platoon mate anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I think Kiermaier's a lefty, so he's not a natural platoon mate for Joyce. But that just it, it allows for some malleability in that depth chart. And Kiermaier, to me, uh, at least against lefties, um, can be a 280 hitter with uh, 10 homers, 15 stolen bases. Um, maybe even a little bit more with the stolen bases once he figures out um, how pitchers are, are playing him. Yeah, yes, you're you're right. He is a left-handed uh, hitter, and uh, he he's he is an intriguing player, kind of like a a poor man's Cole Calhoun in a sense, like a not was not a highly rated prospect, but seems to have kind of a high floor as long as he gets the playing time, and seems like the type of guy who can get the playing time, yeah. and. Um, Kind of, I mean, it's kind of a similar. Well, it's not the same story, but you also and in, in in your article in Deeply Gaufelers, you also talked about Reimer Liriano. I'm sure that there's uh, others, and, and but I mean, you know, he seems like a good bet for a spot. There were some things about him you don't like. Uh, obviously, he's not the most disciplined hitter, uh, but I, I mean, I think there's a lot of raw ability to like at least. Yeah, it's unclear what his uh, role is now. I mean, uh, especially if they could, were to trade for his assessments. Yeah, right. And D, and other than DL replacement for Quentin. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a pretty active. Role. That's on the I schedule. Mean, yeah. That is on the schedule. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere around April fifteenth, <laughs> uh, we can expect uh, his first trip to the DL. Turn in your taxes and then head to the big son. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I, I don't think the stolen base is necessarily going to come so much. No. Uh, the, you know, power is just a big open question mark. He's He, he could be a decent buy low just because his price has got to be pretty low right now. Yes. Um, I think, like I said in that post, he did everything wrong that you want to see. Like, he basically checked every box, no. <laughs> because you people were like, well, I don't know if his power is going to translate. Uh, no. And they're like, oh, I don't know what his plate discipline is going to translate. Uh, no. They're like, oh, I don't know if he's going to make enough contact. Uh, no. So um, I think once you have a disastrous debut like that, um, you know, at least in fantasy, I doubt that the San Diego Padres would appreciate you come sniffing around their Reimer Liriano right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, he did miss. He missed an entire season because he. I think was it. It was Tommy John surgery. He had also, or he had elbow, some sort of uh, joint injury. Uh, but I think it was. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, there was an injury. I forgot what it was, though. Yeah, and he missed the entire season before this one. And so maybe there's a little bit of uh, – uh, you get a little bit of a pass for that. And the strikeout rates were all – well, a lot of them were around league average. So they were never that bad as they were in his debut. And he did, he has spent virtually no time at AAA. So there's a little bit of – hey, uh, there's a little bit of reason to give this guy some pass. But – He's also because he missed that year. Uh, he'll be 24 next season, so he's got only a couple of years to really kind of prove to us yeah. that he deserved that pass as well. I like. I mean, I like the raw combination of Billy, but I think I agree in terms of in terms of opportunities. Number one for the stolen bases, and the number two, I think the speed was more of an opportunity, uh, something to take advantage of in the minor leagues that he doesn't quite have uh, at the major league level. There's yeah, there's it's not it's not over. It's not over. I mean, he'll he'll get another couple of chances. Um, you know, even the the venable uh, Maven, I mean Maven, you know, is he going to be healthy? <laughs> venable plays a, a Cromulan second center field, so um, there could be games where you see uh Venable, Liriano and I don't know, someone not named Quentin. Seth Smith, of course. He's an icon in San Diego now. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting mix of outfielders in, in San Diego, uh, as usual. Um, and at least uh, I, I will kind of miss Christian Rufio myself, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, because he was a solid defender and a, and a decent hitter. Well, uh, I think that is going to do it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, enjoy your trip to fan and, uh, and starches because it's actually a requirement. If you read, you might want to look this up, uh, but in order to get a real nice Thanksgiving nap, you need the combination of tryptophan and carbohydrates. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Those two things working in conjunction are what induce the comato- comatose state. And a comfy pillow. Yes, that does not hurt. And uh, it doesn't help that the football games turn out to be boring as well. Uh, maybe a good one. San, yes. Francisco, San Francisco, Seattle might be good. Yeah, and uh, I think Philly plays the uh, the Cowboys. That's a huge game in the NFC East. And then uh, I don't know. Detroit just bores me to death. <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, we hope you all have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, thank you for joining us uh, on this holiday week. Yes, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I am Nicholas Minix, and we look forward to our next Sleeper in the Bus. This has been episode number 180. Uh, Until next time, take care.